1 Corinthians chapter 9. As most of you know, last week we had revival and... Excuse me. Whatever whatever I have, I must have given it to Cassie. I don't know. But um, the reality is that many of us last week and uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night... um, uh, made decisions for the Lord. Uh, uh, we had uh, we ha- we heard uh, several messages. We heard uh, the uh, son- last Sunday morning uh, the evangelist uh, Bruce Fry uh, gave his testimony of uh, how he uh, how and when he got saved, and then he uh, he preached on uh, bitterness Sunday night, and then we uh, heard a message on uh, being honest with ourselves and with God. And that's a that's a that's a that's a hard thing to do sometimes. And then he preached a message, and I don't remember the title the title of all the messages, but this is what I remember: uh, standing before God and giving account of our lives. We're all going to do that. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. <clears throat> and then he, the on Wednesday night he talked about being a volunteer or a servant. And and I know many of us made made decisions. And uh, this morning I want to encourage us to kind of reflect on those some of those decisions we made in the last week or so. Uh, decisions, some of them to to serve God, and some 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 to maybe change something in our lives, or maybe uh, you know stop doing something or start doing something. I don't know what it could be. But oftentimes God uses revivals to speak to our hearts. So I want to kind of kind of reflect on that this morning and kind <clears> of <throat> uh, uh, talk about that. And uh, uh, you know, there have been times I I, I have known people uh, throughout the years that, for whatever reason, they have gotten to a crossroad in their life and they have chosen to turn away from God. And uh, that's a sad that's a sad road to take, but a lot of people take that road. And revival, if you would, is a kind of a crossroads, oftentimes in our lives. God brings us to a point through revival, through preaching, sometimes, and 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 causes us to make a decision whether we are going to serve God or we're, or we're not. And I, I remember back many years ago uh, coming to a point in my life where God brought me to what I felt like was a was a crossroad. And I, I remember driving down Interstate 15 on my way to San Diego when I years ago when I drove truck. I was I was going down Interstate 15. On my way to San Diego, and I, I was literally wrestling with God over what, I, what was I going to do with the rest of my life. Now, I'm not talking about a crossroads where I was going to deny, deny Christ or deny God, uh, but it was a crossroads where either I was going to give everything to Christ or I was going to give Him most of my life. I got to that point in my life where I was struggling with, you know what, I, I still, there are some things in life that I still want to do. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. 
And God was telling me, and this is this is the wrestling match that was taking place in my heart. <clears throat> Rick, I want all of your heart. I want all of your life. But God, I want to hold on to part of it. And that was the the struggle driving down. I, I can I can take you to the spot on Interstate 15 where I finally said, Okay, God, I'll give you my life. It was a real struggle. It was a real battle taking place in the cab of my Freightliner heading down Interstate 15. But see, God didn't want most of my life. He wanted all of my life. And revival oftentimes brings us to that point in our lives where God will touch our hearts and and our lives and he said, I don't want most of your life. I want all of your life. This morning, the message is very simple. In fact, you're not going to walk out of here thinking, wow, that was really, I learned a lot. That's not the point this morning. The point this morning is to remind us that God wants all of our hearts. So the title of the message very, very simply is don't quit. Don't quit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's start reading in verse 18. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without the law, as without the law, being without the uh, without law to God, uh, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means 
when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, we are truly grateful and thankful. And Lord, we just ask as we come together around your word this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us through your word, and that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verse 18, uh, Paul asks a question. What is my reward then? What is my reward? What, why, why, why have I become all things to all men? What is the point? What is the purpose of it all? And I believe the answer is found in verse, uh, the middle of the, uh, verse 22 and verse 23. It says, uh, in verse 22, it says, uh, the middle of verse 20 says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul, what was Paul's motivation to see people saved? Their eternity was more important to him than his temporal enjoyment verse 23 and and this i do for the gospel's sake that i might be partaker thereof with you paul is saying very clearly that the the all the things that i go through all the troubles that that i endure in my life are because of one thing it gives me the ability to preach the gospel and to see some people saved and to be perfectly honest, it makes it worth it all. But then in verses 24 to 27, Paul gives us a blueprint, if you would, to a productive life in Christ. Verse <clears throat> uh, 24, it says, uh, know, know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Uh, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In my Bible, I, I write in my Bible. I don't know. Some people don't do it. I do. It helps me remember things as I go through my, my Bible. But next to those four verses that I just read, I have this written. Verse 24. Next to verse 24. Run to win your race. Run to win your race. <clears throat> Verse 25, I have, I have written next to it, run for the right reason. Run for the right reason. Paul is saying, you know, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? To win people to Christ. Run for the right reason. Verse 26, next to it, I have written this, run with confidence. Run with confidence. 
And then verse 27, I have next to it, running is hard work and takes commitment. Paul is not saying that the, the race is going to be easy. But what he is saying, it's, it's hard work and it takes commitment. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 and 24, <clears throat> well, let, let, before, I, before I read that, let me back up a little bit. Yesterday, those of us that were at the men's breakfast yesterday, <clears throat> what did we learn about the word race? Okay, uh, well, it was, it was a specific word. Agony. The, the, and, and we were in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, and the word race there means agony. Okay? It's the Greek word, it's the Greek word agonon. And you put a Y on it and you get agony. That's where we get the word agony from. But the word race here <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is a different Greek word. It doesn't mean that to run a race of agony. It, it literally means to run a race in front of an audience. Think about that for a second. Like in a stadium, when you know, you know, athletes that, that run races, what do they do? They run races in front of audiences, do they not? And we'll make application to that in a little bit. But so it's not the same Greek word, but it, it's interesting that Paul chose this particular Greek word to describe the word race because it's run before people. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And he said to them, All, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but... Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The word cross here it speaks of sacrifice. Take up your cross daily. So Paul here in, in or excuse me, in Luke, Christ is talking about daily sacrifice. Daily sacrifice. I'm going to give you this morning three reasons not to quit. Three very simple principles not to quit. Number one, don't quit because you don't want to live with regret. I agree with Paul when he said uh, in, in verse 27 at the end, he says, uh, I, myself, uh, 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 I, I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. What he's saying is, you know what? I, I, don't, I preach to others the gospel of Jesus because I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to live with regret. I want my life to be profitable. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, to be perfectly honest, I do not want to live my life and have somebody say to me at the end of my life, say, why didn't you live for Christ? I don't want to hear those words. 
I don't want to think in my heart and my life, I wasted my life. Romans chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Revival is a time often, oftentimes when God brings us to make hard decisions. Hard, they, oftentimes God uses this time to, to speak to our hearts and to help us see and make hard decisions and things in our lives that, that oftentimes we want to try to ignore. As you stand at the crossroad this morning, looking at the, at the, at the options, take time, if you would, before making the decision, take time and, and see where the paths will take you. And I guarantee one of the roads will always lead to regret. Don't take that road. Don't live with regret. Quincy Adams, John Quincy Adams, excuse me, held more important offices than anyone else in in the history of the United States. He served with uh, distinction as president, senator, congressman, minister to major European powers, a participant in various capacities in the American Revolution, the War of 1812, and the events leading up to the Civil War. I didn't know all that about him. But at the age of 70, with much of his accomplishments behind him, This is what he wrote about his life. Think about this. President, senator, congress, I mean, all of the things that he did. This is how he summed up his life. My whole life has been a succession of disappointments. I can scarcely recount a single instant of success in anything that I have ever undertaken I dare say now now John Quincy Adams if you look through our, our, our history of our country John Quincy Adams did a lot of really good things for our country but John Quincy Adams at the end of his life was standing and looking back at the path that he took and he's standing there saying to Everyone, I took the wrong road. That's a sad thing. All the accomplishments that he accomplished in his his mind were worthless. I wonder often, as as I've read this story, I, I often wonder... I wonder what God really wanted him to do with his life. 
See, John Quincy Adams chose a good path, but I believe God had a greater path for him that he did not choose. And we can live our lives going down the wrong path, still doing good things, but it's still the wrong path. We can become consumed with doing good when God wants us to do great things. We need to ask ourselves, do I really want to go down that road? Or do I want to let God have all of my life? I believe I could be wrong. But I believe John Quincy Adams chose the wrong road. I love the story of a guy named William Borden. I've shared this many times here. I want to share it again because this is an important truth. William Borden was born to a very wealthy family, the Borden Dairy Estate. How many of you have ever heard of Borden Dairy? Okay, most, most of us have. In 1904, William Borden was the heir to the Borden Estate. Graduated from a Chicago high school, a millionaire. Can you imagine that? In 1904? <laughs> The dude had some bucks, okay, just saying. His parents gave him a trip around the world for a graduation present. (laughs) That's, you know. Traveling through Asia and the Middle East and Europe uh, gave Borden a burden for the world's hurting people. Writing home, he said this, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Turning down a high-paying job after graduation from Yale University, he entered two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. Completing studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first uh, uh, in Egypt for preparation. While there, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis and died within a few months. A waste, you might think? Not in God's plan. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, he had written two more words, no regrets. Don't quit because you don't want to live with regret. 
Here this young man, his, 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 uh, uh, a, in today's society, he would have been a billionaire. He could have had anything that he wanted. But he lived his life with no regrets. Now his life was cut short, and we don't understand why God would have done that. Recently, um, some of you may know this, uh, I was talking with uh, Pastor Perry, uh, the man who spoke yesterday morning. He came over Friday night and spent the night with us, and we were talking, and his, he's got two daughters that attend Pensacola Christian College in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And in this school year, four young people at that college have died. One of them, the most recent one was, I want to say within the last week or so, uh, was hit by a car. He was he was working for the college, but he was off campus doing something, and he was he was hit by a car and killed. And the, one of the two girls, uh, one of the two daughters of Pastor Perry, called and and was talking to him. He said, "Why, this young man was so on fire for God, and he was he was wanting to dedicate and give his life to God." Why would God allow something like that? You know, I don't have the answers to that question. But I do know this. When we give our lives to God, our lives do not belong to us. They belong to Him. And live your life without regrets. Number two, don't quit. Because those who are coming behind <clears throat> behind me, don't quit because of those who are coming behind me. Remember the word race that I talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? It means to, to compete in front of an audience. So, so what is Paul telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about our race people are watching and the way you run your race will affect how they live incredible word choice by Paul Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 be not deceived God is not mocked for whoso for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to the flesh shall reap uh, shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that soweth of the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting and as I thought about this I thought you know what this is staggering to me but I have eight grandkids that's a scary thought. It is. Because I know I have 16 little eyeballs watching me. And I don't take that lightly. I pray all the time that God will constantly keep in the forefront of my mind that I've got little eyeballs that are watching me. And when I lose my temper, guess what? Somebody's there watching.
And I beg God to constantly remind me that my life will influence those eight little lives. But wait a minute. I'm a pastor. And that that truth goes to every one of you as well. What happens when a pastor falls? It's devastating. Can you imagine the pressure that the average pastor feels to always constantly be on his guard? It's overwhelming at times. But what Paul is saying here is people are watching. Don't quit. Because those who are coming behind you will be influenced by what you say and do. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is talking to the young preacher, the young preacher boy Timothy. And he says this about Timothy. He says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in thee also. What was Paul saying here? Eunice, his grandmother, got it right. And because she got it right, his mother got it right. And because she got it right, it influenced Timothy, and Timothy turned out to be a godly young man. People are watching. But what would have happened if Eunice hadn't done it right? Timothy may or may not have. We don't know. But she did. Every one of us, every one of us influences someone. I have a picture for you. It's an old guy. Okay. This is uh, Dr. John Getty. Uh, He went to the south, the south, excuse me, the southernmost island of the Ventura uh, island chain in the South Pacific. Uh, If you pull it up on a map, it's a little dot, not too far off the coast of Australia. Okay. The island, the particular island that he went to was the what is called the Mystery Island. I, I, I try to say it in the native tongue, but there's no way in the world I could say it. That's why they must call it the Mystery Island. Because <laughs> it's in the mystery how to say it. Um, but in 1884, he worked on this island for 24 years. And this, this right here... Uh, is a testimony to him. A tablet was prepared for John Getty and placed behind the pulpit where he preached for 24 years. And this is what the plaque said in part. In memory of John Getty, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. He left a legacy. 
For 24 years he preached the gospel, and and we don't know, at least I don't, how many years he preached until everyone on that. But but when he left 24 years later, everybody on that island knew Christ. Every one of us has eyeballs on us. Some of us more than others. Those of you that are grandparents, I think, understand the impact of what I'm trying to communicate here. The legacy that you leave behind is critical. And your grandchildren and your children and the people around you, your friends, your neighbors, they're all watching. Paul warned young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5 through 8. He says, but watch thou in all things. Be, and what's he saying? And be careful because in all things endure affliction and do, uh, and, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. What was, what was Paul trying to tell Timothy? Don't quit. It's going to get hard. Don't quit. Our choices affect others. The third principle I want to share with you in closing is this. Don't quit because Jesus didn't quit. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We read them yesterday, guys. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's that word race, the, the agony. The race, the agony that is set before us. It's not an easy race. It's a hard race. Paul's trying to tell the Hebrew believers the race is hard. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's never quit on you. Jesus has never quit on you, and he never will. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there are times in our lives where we we feel like maybe he has left us. We feel that there's a gulf between us, but the problem is not he is not the one who moved. We are the one that moves. He gave his life to give us meaningful life. 
He came to this earth and lived a sin, sinless life for 33 plus years, 32 plus years. He lived in this sinful world and never once sinned. Paid your price, the price of your sin on the cross and rose from the dead three days later. He has never given up on you. As I was thinking about this, I, I often wonder, what is the greatest thing that we can do to help someone? Is the greatest thing that we can do for someone is to, to, to help them out of a jam or give them the gospel? See, helping them out of a jam, more than likely, they're just going to get in another jam. But if we can help them find Christ, then Christ can change their lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can change someone's life. Again, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Don't quit. Stay in the race. Stay. The agony of the race is real. Pick the right road. Don't be like John Quincy Adams. When you get to the end of your life, you look down and say, you know what? I picked the wrong road. Don't do that. I want to be able to say like Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now there's an important word in this verse I want to bring your attention to. It's right in the middle of the verse. It's the word my. Finished my course. And the, cor- and the reality is this. Every one of us has a different course that God wants us to run. Don't ask me what your course is supposed to be because I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out my course. But at the end of his life, Paul was able to say, unlike John Quincy Adams, you know what? I chose the right road. And I did my best. Did I make mistakes along the way? Absolutely, Paul made mistakes along the way. But he picked the right road. Remember the words of William Borden. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Where are you at this morning? Are you struggling with some things in your life? 
Maybe from revival, maybe not, maybe, I, I don't know. But are you struggling with some things this morning? Let me share one more verse and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto uh, to salvation, but not to repentance of. Um, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I, I, I'll be honest with you. This verse for years has, has kind of eluded me. I've struggled with this verse. Especially the, the last part of it. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Then it dawned on me. What is the sorrow of the world? The sorrow, I believe, what he's talking about is regret. When we, when we live a life of regret, it brings death. Not necessarily physical death, but death to our souls. Don't live with regret. Don't quit. Number one, don't quit because <clears throat> you don't want to live with regret. Number two, don't quit because of those that are coming behind you. And then number three, don't quit because Jesus didn't quit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. God, you are so good to us, so kind and so gracious. And Lord, as we bring our service to a conclusion, I do ask that you would just speak to our hearts and that you would challenge us and help us to be more like you. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you. And Lord, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts. With every head bowed and every eye closed,